Welcome everyone to the Madonna Get Together. I am your host Wayne, and today we are living for love, continuing on this trend, or train should I say, of offering something different for the show. I've got a special treat. No, it's not Turkish delight, but even better than any piece of hard candy. We've got Mark Andrews with us on the show. Mark is an accomplished music journalist since 1988, devoting many years to Smash Hits Australia and Smash Hits UK, and currently with DNA for the past 20 plus years. He is also the author of Madonna, The Unofficial Story, Madonna, The Material Girly Down Under, and also a lot more books that I want to talk to you about, including the book we want to specifically talk about today is Madonna Song by Song, which is a complete guide to all of Madonna's recorded songs, plus a plethora of other remix and video details. Uh, Mark, I've been waiting for us to get together, and I have too, too, too many questions to ask you. Everybody, please welcome Mark. (laughs) Hey, welcome. Thank, thank you for having me. It's nice to be Yeah, here. absolutely. It's nice, to get, it's nice to get together with you, Wayne, as they say. Yeah. As some of us do say in the Madonna yes. community. <laughs> yeah. It's so wonderful to be here. And I have to tell you that I'm, I'm talking to you when it's the Jubilee uh, holidays here for uh, that other queen of England. You remember yes. Madonna was queen. Madonna was the other queen of England here for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not room for but, two queens. But, apparently. Exactly. But the, the most wonderful thing is that uh, because we live just here near a big park, when I, every time I walk across the park here, all I hear are blasts of um, classic Madonna tunes. And it just reminds me that all the stuff that's written about Madonna, all the stuff in the press, all the stuff that's going on, when you hear those songs, when you hear Holiday played out in the open, you just think, wow, that it just, it, there's not that, that moment you're like, this is why I love Madonna. It's just something so special, it just grabs you. And it's just such a great reminder. It is all about the music. It, it resonates very much with within our social culture, regardless if, if people want to admit it or not. <laughs> I wrote in my book that that song, Holiday, that's the songs that the world uses to, um, to celebrate hope, harmony, and happiness. And, um, you know, here it is again being played. I mean, it, it's almost 40 years old, and it still sounds so fresh, so wonderful. And so, you know, it's just such, such a buzz to hear that. I heard, I heard Vogue yesterday being played at a big party that I walked past. And I just thought, you know, these are just timeless classics. You know, this is just, you know, this is magic, really, music magic. She has built a legacy that is going to live on beyond her, beyond us. Um, people are going to hear these songs even, you know, after a lot of us are gone. Um, exactly. And that's what the last thing I think about my book is that, you know, it celebrates Madonna, not just the performer, but Madonna you know, the musician, the songwriter as well. I mean, you know, she has written most of her songs or co-written most of her songs and co-produced most of them too. So, you know, that's something that's very often forgotten in the in the bigger Madonna story. And so I think it's nice to, uh, especially, you know, look, fans, we know this and we appreciate that, but I think it's nice for everyone to sort of re- realise when you see there's 40 years worth of a body of work. I mean, that's an amazing body of work, 40 years, you know, and still be having, you know, big hit albums and still be, you know, being celebrated at big events like this kind of thing as well. Being and hopefully so we as fans are, are getting some things where we're, we're getting the um, finally enough love 50 dance club yeah. hits this yeah. summer. Yeah, exactly. We're finally getting another physical release of, of a product, regardless if it's, you know, um, stuff that we've all heard before. It's, it's kind of just an acknowledgement of us being fans. I think this, this new release is going to be a lot, for the fans and i think we appreciate seeing that oh not only is there a single disc but a double disc and then four lps uh so it's not something we typically have been able to necessarily look forward to i think madame x was the first one where they kind of went all out and started doing all these different media types and, and different covers and things like that i mean it can get a little over overboard for some for some of the items like um the, there was the the clear version of madame x the the, the blue translucent madame x the rainbow flag <laughs> madame x the regular madame x so um i think it's just great that we get to see these products come out yeah. with her this is why this is why we are all so happy that she's back home at warner basically where she belongs. yes i mean the last three albums were an interesting exercise, but, you know, let's not remind ourselves that, you know, when she signed to Interscope, which or Live Nation Interscope, you know, they had Lady Gaga on their books. And then when Madonna came on, I mean, you had then two 
big music divas and I think they just didn't really know what to do. So those three albums, interesting albums, but I don't think, um, I think I'm looking forward now. And this Finally Enough Love, I have to tell you, I had a long journey from Madrid to Tel Aviv and my plane was cancelled and all kinds of terrible things happened. And because I'm such a big fan, I um, I did my own little playlist of all those seven-inch remixes of um, that are on Finally Enough Love. Because usually I'd only ever listen to the extended versions. And I was also really sort of, actually, I was really pissed off. I was like, why are we only getting the seven-inch versions? We should be having the full versions because they're the club versions. They're the proper versions. But when I sat and I listened to those, while I was waiting for this plane to happen that never did and all this stuff, it was so exciting to listen to these tracks. And I got such a blast from the past because... There's 40 years of um, liberation and dance floor liberation. And, you know, my, my life as a clubber, all these highlights right. for me, you know? like nothing really matters. Every time I hear that, it just instantly takes me back to the late 90s, to dance floors and, you know, having amazing times. And, uh, you know, there's so many other, tr- when I hear the um, the version of uh, Like a Prayer that uh, Shep Pettibone did, which unfortunately is not on that record. And that's a little, um, one of my sour points with this record. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, when I hear that, for example, you know, that just, just transports me to 1989 in London. What, what version is, so what they, version they, of Like a Prayer is, is being used for Finally Enough? Like? I believe it's the Bill Bottrell um, uh, okay. version, which is interesting. And uh, I'm, I, I did, someone did scan a bit of the cover notes they had, and they showed some of the cover notes, which I thought were, were very odd. And there was, it stated something like, you know, this was the... Um, the version that's you know club goers loved and stopped clubs dead in their tracks and i was thinking look i was clubbing in 1989 <laughs> and you know we never heard that version everywhere i went maybe it was because i was in gay clubs i don't know but the only version that you ever heard was that shep Pedabone version and that version just blew the roof off the place that was well, just so amazing and and here's what i kind of don't fully understand yet and and maybe it'll be in the liner notes of of the album when we get it but I don't understand which versions were chosen and, and why. Was it just her choosing which remixes she liked the most? Or was it, this is the one that hit the top of the dance charts. This is the version yeah. that hit the top of the I don't know well, the answer to yeah, that. That's, that's a very good point. And because, you know, some of those versions are not ones that I certainly would not have chosen at all. And yet, you know, there's also other ones which I've rediscovered. And I was like, oh, actually, that's really good. Like the deep dish version of uh, music. Yes. Um, yep. I thought, yeah, that's really good, actually. You know, I, and I haven't listened to that for probably 20 years or so. And yeah. So it sort of woke me up to that one. But, you know, then there's other ones which I'm kind of like, mm, I wouldn't have chosen that. I mean, the Like a Prayer one, for example, is a very odd choice that I certainly wouldn't have chosen. Um, Are there any couple... that you're excited to hear? Um, well, look, the, the David Morales version of Deeper and Deeper is just so fantastic. I mean, yes. even in the seven-inch version, it is just, it just blows your mind. It's, it is 90s house at its best, you know, and it's such a shame that Madonna didn't do anything else with, you know, David Morales or Frankie Knuckles from that sort of era that, you know, there's just that one remix kind of thing sitting there. You know, it's such a shame that there wasn't anything further that happened there. I think that's a, a real missing piece kind of thing. But, you know, that we at least have this one track. I mean, that's amazing, I have to say. So. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because she was kind of in, you know, when, in the early to mid-90s, those were, those were the guys you went to to get yeah, your yeah, tracks remixed. I don't know if maybe house. she was trying to avoid doing what everyone else was doing, but I think, yeah, there, there was kind of like um, – a missed opportunity there i feel like where we yeah. could have heard a lot more house and especially with um the kind of backlash that erotica got i think could have used some some cool remixes like a david morales remix of bad girl would have been incredible i think yeah no, <laughs> but, exactly i mean I think that's exactly true i mean there's some very odd choice i think you kind of get the sense that when this whole sex thing erupted and erotica kind of sort of fell to pieces, the, the game plan that Warner had for erotica kind of fell to pieces, like the charts. And there was so much stuff, you know, sort of being thrown, so much vitriol being thrown at Madonna that, um, you know, they were just literally sort of, you know, grabbing at whatever they could to try and see, let's see if this one works. Let's see if that one works. Whereas, you know, probably some of their better instincts would have been, as you'd say, to sort of do some more interesting stuff. I mean, there's no interesting remixes of Bad Girl, for example. You know, there's, yeah. there's no really interesting remixes of Rain. And they should have been, you know, it's right. there's real miss, missed opportunities definitely there. But um, I think the one on the album that I, I'm really quite not sore about, but I, I just wish it, they had included it is the causing a commotion. Um, yeah. Which, which is by, um, Shep Pettibone and Junior Vasquez. 
the reason, I mean, I understand, I mean, I read in the, the somewhere in the um, the press release, they said, oh, you know, we're not including that because, you know, we've put it already on the, the record store day version that we released with the Who's That Girl um, uh, remix. Okay, Which is a bad fine. excuse, but well, it's, I, it's, it's, <laughs> but we get into the groove instead. Yeah, I mean, okay, I mean, that, that's fine. But, you know, the thing about causing commotion, I mean, I know it's not so well remembered in the, the big scheme of Madonna records, but... What it did, and we point this out in, in my book, is that, you know, it's the song that introduced Madonna to house music. You know, it's, yeah. it, there's, a, there's a clear divide there between Madonna's stuff from before 1987 and then from 1987 onwards. And that point of house music, that movie house mix that Shep Pedibon with Junior Vasquez did, that is the leaping point for what we get with Vogue. Right. Then deeper and deeper. And also just going on for pretty much for the rest of the remixes, you know, right up to Honey Dijon kind of. Right. Thing. Yeah. Search uh, I find. So I think that's why it's such an important part of piece of the puzzle. And for me, you know, I, I'm really quite, a, not, I'm really sad that it's missing because I think it is such an important piece that should be there. But anyway, maybe that's just me. Yeah. And I hope they at some point put the record store day release like on streaming at least. Maybe the anniversary for Who's That Girl? Because we are at the 35th anniversary this year for Who's That Girl. There's there's, there's definitely so many things that could be done. I mean, I I did hear someone was telling me that they believe that, um, you know, there there had been a plan with Rhino already in place to do lots of different remixes and releases. But um, then suddenly the Warnick deal came. And so now this is why we've seen a lot of the remixes that were planned sort of got pulled or yanked or moved yeah. around and stuff so i'd say you know we're now getting a new plan and obviously finally enough love is the first part of that plan which is exciting which is wonderful and you know there's so many great remixes on that record that you know are worth discovering and uh, you know look even me as a madonna file who's been a almost 40 years a fan and I'd forgotten some of these, and it was just so exciting to hear them all again, one after the other, chronologically as well. You know, there's a great a story, not just for dance music, but, you know, the evolution of, you know, music from sort of, you know, post-disco into uh, house music, into EDM and sort of beyond kind of thing, you know, yeah. 40 years. I mean, who, what other journal, um, artist gives you that? <laughs> well, what I also find interesting, too, in, in, in the, um, the write-up for this release, I like how they said, mostly in chronological order, <laughs> which I, I, I find it kind of humorous just because I think me as a fan, I love to hear things in chronological order just because I like yeah. to hear the evolution. But yeah. um, but I think they recognize that that is important to fans. So that's why they say like, well, it's mostly in chronological order, which I think they did a good job. When you look at the track listing, you, you can tell yeah. like, you know, um, just kind of at least grouping some of the songs together that fit. Yeah. Even if, if yeah. they're not from the same album, they're they're still like good ones. Like I mean, into the groove, for example. Yeah, they're probably never gonna make everyone happy with this, but to be honest, I think it's such a great release, it's such a beautiful thing that finally those remixes, because you know, Madonna's career, you know, really is based on dance music, on her remixes, on clubbing, yep. you know. As much as you know, she's had her ballad hits and some other the other stuff as well to make her a fuller pop star it's the club roots you know it's yes. that's where she's been that's always been her biggest base and her support and that's nice to feel that love back a bit with this release that's what it kind of feels like giving the love back a bit i think and i'm i'm kind of excited not necessarily excited i just i just love the idea that they're putting the video version of open your heart on there yeah yeah no, which has really cool. never never been released in any form yeah. no promo no nothing yeah. so someone is literally this mix has existed for, you know, 36 years and yeah. it's finally going to see the light of day. Exactly. And it has that nice little tingly sort of ting, ting, yes. ting bit at the beginning kind of thing, you know, that, you know, as soon as you hear that, you're like, oh, we're going to get that peep show video happening. Yep. And we're going to have that wig reveal that Madonna, <laughs> also, like, no, she hasn't. Oh, look, it's blonde Madonna back kind of thing. You're like, oh, yeah. wow. And then she's off dancing with you, know, Felix at the end and all that kind of stuff. So, that is definitely which, going to be replaced so i'm using that version to replace it on immaculate collection uh mm. celebration that's going to be my my go-to mix hopefully yeah. it, as long as they don't butcher it 
Yeah. I mean, um, it's interesting that, you know, there's a 12-inch version of the Open Your Heart, which is actually not bad. It's very 80s now, yeah. but it sort of went for 10 minutes. You kind of thought, wouldn't they have had like somewhere like a three or four-minute version they could have banged out or someone might have done a, <laughs> an edit of that somewhere hidden in the, the Warner right. archives? Right. Sure, you could have dug that out, but maybe there isn't, or maybe just no one had a proper look. I, I mean, I don't know. So. Or perhaps it hasn't been properly archived. I imagine stuff is just yeah. sitting somewhere and, and no one knows what's in this box of of tape reels mm. sitting in a, a warehouse somewhere in, you know, yeah. either well, it's, Madonna's it's taken, shed yeah. or Warner Brothers yeah. shed. It's taken literally until now, until, you know, this deal, until this album, that finally, this is you know, 40 years later, we are getting the proper TLC that Madonna's back catalogue, you know, deserves. I mean, yeah. no, no other artist of her stature would have had to put up with this, I think. You know, especially, I think especially a male artist would never have done this. I mean, Bruce Springsteen, Prince, you know, yeah. all these people have had huge, you know, beautiful deluxe versions of, of, of stuff. Madonna's stuff, you know, we've had, oh, we'll give you one little old remix kind of thing <laughs> and nothing else kind of thing, you know, and you're kind of like, really, that's it kind of thing, you know, and mm -hmm. it just hasn't been good enough kind of thing. So now let's hope that, you know, with this deal that we're going to finally see, you know, because next, uh, well, you know, it's this year we get the 30th anniversary of um, Erotica. Are we going to get something for that? I mean, that would be nice to see. I, yeah, next I year, hope so. Yeah, next year's the 25th anniversary of Ray of Light. We definitely yep. have to have something for that. I mean, that surely that is a momentous moment that has to be marked by something. So let's hope for the best. And I feel like, and I, I want to bring up a point when you when you brought up like Bruce Springsteen and, and Prince. I mean, if Prince were alive, he'd never have any deluxe versions because he hated revisiting. And when he did want to do it, he wanted to remove all the cursing because he became a Jehovah's Witness and all that. So, I mean, it, it's... It's also sad that the fact that he had to pass away in order for all this great stuff to come out. And I don't want the same to happen to Madonna. I want her to, it looks like yeah. she's starting to embrace kind of her past and her past work and revisiting and, yeah. and want to do all that. But I really think they should look to what the um, Prince estate has done with his releases to look yeah. at, this is what the fans really want. They want every, every remix version that was ever done from promos to official yeah. releases. And then really great packaging, 12 inches re-released, seven inches re-released, you know, just we'll for go it for that's, it. You know, we will pay for that because we want that stuff. You know, that stuff is what we've been you know desperate for. And, and, you know, it, when so much of this stuff also has been floating over the internet, you know, in odd versions yeah. or not, not very good quality, you kind of like, well, we know it's there, so just give us the good stuff. You know, we know you've got the good quality version, so, you know, just give us what we really want rather than us having to source all this really dodgy stuff that's been floating around for years. Absolutely, and it helps reduce the noise. So all the, all yeah. the kind of crappy versions that are out there, if you yeah. give them to us officially, you know, yeah. we're, we're not going to be <laughs> trying to scour YouTube for a bad version of that Who's That Girl remix that yeah, no. someone recorded from the bad CD quality that's out there right now. Exactly. And, you know, this is a big year. This is a milestone year, 40 years since Madonna released her first record. So, you know, this is when, you know, things really need to be taken seriously. Madonna, as an artist with a huge body of work that, you know, is still so contemporary, still so relevant. And, you know, look, the versions of Frozen that just keep coming, popping out kind of thing, you know, it just shows that, you know, you can, you know, make something that's 24 years old. You can still make it sort of relevant and interesting to right. the TikTok generation. So. Uh, well, we kind of dove right in, um, which, I but, I, but I want to kind of go back and I, I want you to tell me a little bit about how you become a fan. What was your, your fan journey like? And, and then I want to start talking to you about um, being a, um, a music journalist. Okay. So tell me, well, tell me, take us back to the moment you knew that you were going to be a Madonna fan. Gee, the moment I knew I was going to be a Madonna or fan. Or that you uh, were a Madonna fan. Well, I think that it's definitely in 1984. I had heard Madonna in 1983, obviously, and I'd heard um, Holiday, I think, by that stage, and also Burning Up, which was, you know, a hit in Australia and was played a lot on video. Um, and I, I kind of liked them kind of thing. And... Um, uh, then I went. I put. I went to a gay bar the first time in 1984. This is in Brisbane, Australia, and I remember there were two songs being. This, I can remember two songs clearly being played. The first one was "Dead or Alive, You Spin Me Round," and I remember the place just went like a crazy party, went wild and dancing and woo kind of thing. You know when that came on. Right. And then when they played Madonna's "Burning Up," the place just went turned into like this big sort of you know simulated sex orgy on stage kind of thing. <laughs> That's when I was like, oh, this is, I need more of this in my life kind of thing, you know. And so from then on, that's kind of, 
me and Madonna, I guess we kind of, at that point, we kind of gelled. And then my, that same year I had my first boyfriend. He bought me my first Madonna record, which was the 12 inch, of course, of Like a Virgin. Um, and uh, also my first CDs were also um, Madonna because I won a competition. So in 1987, I guess it was, um, yeah, I won a competition. You know, this, uh, to, to, um, I won the back catalogue of Madonna CDs because I, I won a Who's That Girl competition. I had oh, to wow. describe Madonna. You had to describe Madonna in 25 words or less. And, I'd, and so I, des I described her as um, she's that girl and underlined the that. And so I won. <laughs> just with those, just with those had, four I words? Because I thought, well, it's a who's that girl competition. So I thought, you know, let's just go with that. And I, thought, and I won. So, and I got the five um, Madonna CDs then finally. Nice. So, uh, yeah, after that. In long box? So, sorry? Were they in long box? Do you remember no, the no, long boxes? Only Americans got the long box. Uh, Australia, you never got the long boxes. Well, see, I always loved the long boxes when you went to America and you would go to like Tower Records and you'd have these big long boxes and you'd be like, oh, this is so good because not only do you get the actual CD, you get all this extra packaging that you can put yeah. on your wall and do stuff with. It was pretty cool. And see, that's what I think they should do when they start doing these re-releases. I think they should you know, go back to retro, pa retro packaging, put some of these things in long boxes, um, just drive up interest for the fans because yeah. listen, I, I bought like nine copies of Madame X. I'll buy nine copies of like a prayer. Oh, if you. you put it in, in <laughs> I'll buy nine copies of like a prayer. If you put one in a long box, I'll buy an extra uh -huh. one. Okay. Well, I think, you know, look, let's, let's hope someone from Warner is listening to this and uh, <laughs> that does the right thing by us fans then, huh? Fingers crossed. Um, what I want to ask you is when you were in yeah. the club and you heard, burning up did you know it was yeah. madonna i did because you know burning up by that stage was a a video hit in australia because of the australian tv show countdown and um so they were molly ian molly meldrum who um mm -hmm. most madonna fans would kind of know of because you know, he interviewed madonna for years and years and years right. had his big cowboy hat on his very australian accent so he was a very very early adopter of madonna um, and you know, he went, he would, you know, go around the world and interview people that he thought were going to be happening and so on. Of course he loved Madonna and, uh, she loved him. And, um, and so, you know, he, they would put, they put burning up on high rotation on the countdown and it became, you know, a big hit in Australia. So I was certainly aware of it kind of thing. And I sort of certainly remember, you know, this girl with sort of the very dark roots, you know, on bending over backwards, uh, would you be pleased, you know, on, on the, uh, the tarmac kind of thing, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I did make the connection that that's who she is, that she's a very free, very sort of sexual beast kind of thing. And I think that's probably what, there was a real connection there, especially, you know, this is 1984 when, you know, we just, you know, we're starting to hear about AIDS and this horrible disease that's coming and it's, it's all caused by gay sex and this, that, the other. And, yeah. you know, so, and to, so to have this other message that, you know, you can be liberated, you can be free, you can be sexual kind of thing. That was also a very positive message then as well, especially for, you know, um, you know, a, a young gay man. Right. Yeah. So let's jump to when you started becoming a music journalist. So you started working uh, in yes. smash hits in Australia yeah. first. Yeah. So in 1988, so, um, Look, my, my dream was always just to move to London. That's all I wanted to do because, you know, just London was the centre mm -hmm. of pop music. So, you know, for me, that was the place I had to be. And so I moved from Brisbane after I finished my university uh, degree, moved to Sydney with my then boyfriend. And I just took any job that I could get. And the job I got was selling tickets on the railway, which is not very glamorous, obviously. And um, while I was there, I, I saw that Smash Hits, they were based in Melbourne originally. They just moved to Sydney. So I thought, well, I'll send them a, me uh, a letter. So, you know, back in those days, you write letters. Obviously. Right. And uh, so I wrote them a letter saying how fabulous I was, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, um, and they sent me back a letter on Smash Hits Letterhead, which was, you know, so fantastic. I was like, wow, you know. And they said, you know, thank you for your, um, for your letter. Unfortunately, there was nothing available. And I was like, well, I mean, at least they wrote me a letter and I put it on my little notice board at home and that kept me going, selling tickets at the, at the railways at the job I hated. <laughs> Two weeks later, however, I got another letter from them, also on letterhead, and they said something has become available. Can you come in and see us? So um, I went into their office and I took with me, I'd, when I was at university, I'd written for the, the uh, university newspaper. And I think I was probably the only person who ever reviewed a Bananarama album in a university newspaper and gave it a rave review. <laughs> But when I sort of gave that to the editor there and he read that, he was kind of like, okay, so how soon can you start? And I said, well, I have to give two weeks notice. So um, 
yeah, two weeks later, I started at Smash Hits, and that was 1988. Wow. So that, of course, was the year when Madonna really did nothing. Um, <laughs> and so it was, it was really, that year was all about Kylie Minogue, actually. The very first thing I ever wrote was about Kylie Minogue. So um, that was, but then, of course, 1989, um, you know, Like a Prayer hit with a boom, and uh, we were off and running then. So then I was there for two years at uh, Smash Hits Australia. Tell me what that was like, because Like a Prayer is my favorite album um, of all time. So, you know, you got to work there and you got to get some experience under your belt before you actually wrote for, uh, I guess, did you write a review for Like a Prayer or like what what was your project revolved around there? Yeah, I think we did a track by track. We stuck Madonna on the front cover. I think we managed to get some uh, photos that she, a photo shoot she'd done for, it was probably Vogue or something. We probably got second rights from the photo shoot she did for Vogue. She had it sort of kind of almost like a tea towel on her head, I seem to remember. We stuck that picture on the front cover. Um, and then inside, we just sort of had lots of information. We had like a track by track. And, um, you know, because back in those days, you also got records, you know, a lot in advance of uh, them actually being released. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we got the Like a Prayer album, we probably got like, you know, a couple of weeks before it actually came out. I mean, I certainly remember bedtime stories. They gave it to me on a cassette, and I had it for about at least six weeks before it came out. Oh, wow. At, at that stage, they were kind of like, you know, oh, we really hope this record's going to do something because, you know, the last one, you know, the, you know, the sex almost killed erotica. We're not sure what to do with this one. And so, you know, <laughs> have a listen to this and see if you can say something nice about it. They were kind of at that stage with the media, I remember, with bedtime stories. And I also remember we would, would take that and we put it on the beach, you know, we'd play it on a little boombox at the beach in Sydney and people are like, wow, this is so cool. What's, who is this? And when we'd say Madonna, they go, no, that's not Madonna. We're like, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, cause it was such a, just, it was such a, a sort of a shift. If you recall, you know, yeah. it was this sort of, you know, R and B kind of, you know, TLC kind of groove kind of thing. And, you know, so people were like, you know, but you know, she's all about dance and Vogue and stuff, not this, but you know, there you go. Like that was another reinvention as, as we went. So. Yeah. And I think it's amazing how she can kind of, experiment with different genres and different sounds and how well it's been accepted as she's done that yeah, over the years yeah um so just to finish my story because i know that just so you get the oh sorry smash <laughs> um so then i was I, I left smash hits um in 1990 in in um in australia because i you know i was still wanted to go to london that was still my dream and uh, so i went Traveled around Europe for three months with my partner, my husband, um, my boyfriend. Then we landed in London, and the next day I went into the Smash Hits office, and I'd actually been there the year previous because I'd taken a competition winner to London um, for a competition. So I'd met them in the Smash Hits office, and uh, so I went in there, and because I, I thought, well, I might, I might as well just get at least a free magazine, and uh, went in, said hi, and they said, oh, we're having an editorial meeting. You want to come along? And I said, okay, sure. So I went along, and look. As you may have gathered by now, you know, when, when it comes to talking pop music and all that kind of stuff, you know, I can sort of, you know, talk off the top of my head about this stuff. And, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I went in there and I said, oh, well, I think, you know, look, Paula Abdul, we did a piece on her. You should probably do something on her. And MC Hammer, he's going to be big, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the meeting, the editor came up to me and he said, would you like to work for us? And I said, okay. And he said, we'll just start tomorrow then. And uh, so then I was there for two years at uh, Smash It's UK and I uh, got to um, cover... Um, uh, what did I, I, I went to Cannes. I was sent to Cannes for the In Bed with Madonna, the Truth or Dare premiere, to cover that for the big premiere. Okay, so, so that a, that's what I that's what I want to take to uh, talk about too. So I want to talk about when your two worlds collided. So you're a, a yeah. Madonna fan, a huge Madonna fan, and you're working yeah. for this this company that focuses heavily on music, and you're writing for them, and you've already done like a Madonna piece. So tell me what that experience was like when you finally those two worlds collided. Yeah, so I mean, look, I've written a lot of stuff for Smash Hits. You know, it was kind of like you know, the nice thing about Smash Hits was um, if you were a fan of an artist, then, you know, they'd say, look, you do this thing kind of thing. So, you know, they would divvy up kind of, you know, who was interested in uh, which particular artist. That's amazing. So, you know, yeah, which makes sense then because, you know, you're the real fan and you're writing for fans. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I'd write lots of stuff. I did a few pieces with Chris Heath. I remember I wrote, he was the guy who went on to write Lots of stuff about Pet Shop Boys and Robbie Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote a few pieces with him. I also remember that the very first time that we heard um, the Justify My Love video came in into the office. And um, we hadn't heard the song at all. Um, we said, they, they sent us the video. So, of course, everyone's like, we've got the new Madonna video. So they went and put it on. And um, we put it on. And I remember we all just 
sat there and watched it. And at the end, someone said, ooh, that really changes everything, doesn't it? <laughs> and it did. I, mean, I yeah, cannot imagine what that was like. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, was it everyone was, just like shocked or like what, what was what was everyone else saying? Like, what was, was the tone was, of the room? Like, wow, this is, you know, it's, no one's done this before. This is a game changer. This is exciting. This is sexciting, if you like. And uh, I mean, look, <laughs> and that was really the, the point where she was going to go then, you know, two years later with the sex book with erotica right. and all that kind of stuff as well. So that was the leaping off point for that as well. So, but um, yeah, so, I mean, they would always give me the Madonna stuff generally to do, which was nice. And I get to review the stuff. And that's why they sent me to Cannes for the film festival. And uh the only thing was, when I was there, I got so terribly sick. I got food poisoning. Oh, no. And so try, trying to run around and go to the premiere there, the one where she does the big reveal at the top yeah. of the, the stairs to throw off the gown, and trying to interview, you know, find Alec Kashishian to interview the director, um, trying to go to – I went to her party, um, you know, where there's Tina Turner over there and there's Dolph Lundgren and there's um, Harvey Weinstein, these people in front of me. You know, it's that kind of stuff. and. Well, while you're terribly, terribly, terribly sick with food poisoning, I mean, it's not glamorous at all, I have to mm -hmm. tell you. But in the magazine, we made it look glamorous. That was the nice thing. So <laughs> you would never have known I was sick. Did you talk to Alan? I did very briefly. I think he even cruised me at one point, but I mean, oh? that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> another year at a different location? Yes, exactly. But um, <laughs> he, was, he was very nice and uh, very friendly. And uh, I mean, you know, look, he had a great movie. It's a shame that, you know, nothing more really came from his career in a way. Because, uh, you know, he showed such great With honours. Yeah, well, exactly. There you go. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's another case where a Madonna song you know, outperforms the movie. So Exactly. Well, everyone remembers the song and not the movie. So. <laughs> Um, and anyway, so yeah, to finish my smash hit story, because I know this is going on forever and I do apologize to you. You're listen. okay. Uh, so 1992, I was at the end of 1992, I was asked to come back and be the editor for smash hits Australia. And so I said, okay, sure. And so I went back and then I was the editor at smash hits Australia for three years until 1995. And that of course was the great era because we not only got sex and, um, uh, erotica, but the following year then was the very first time Madonna came to Australia for the girly show down under. Right. So that was an amazing moment to be there for that. I mean, literally for two weeks, Australia just stopped and was Madonna crazy. Madonna mania it was for two weeks. And you saw the girly show? I saw the girly show, loved it, loved it, loved it. Now, yeah. because you worked for Smash Hits, did you get like a press pass to like watch from a different angle or did you actually buy tickets and, and just showed up? No, I, I wish I could tell you that that was true. I think we did get tickets, but we, um, like from Warner music, but, um, we didn't get like, you know, fabulous seats right up the front or anything like that. Oh, okay. kind of thing. And, you know, which is in a way, which is good because, you know, I wanted to experience it like, you know, a fan with my friends kind of thing. Right. You know, yeah. Because often when, you know, you do go to these things and you sit with the press or, you know, the executives, you know, there's a lot of people sitting there with, with folded arms who are really bored or are not interested. And, you know, you don't, you lose the total vibe. You know, if you're a fan of the artist, you want to be around people who are excited to be there. So um, that was the nice thing to be there. I remember for that. And of course, there was a really special moment that the one, we, the concert that we went to, because I think one or two of the concert had been cancelled because or postponed because of bad weather. Yeah. And House was then, had became like this, either the last or the second last show that she had to do. And she managed to squeeze us in. And it also looked like that night was going to be a big storm and, you know, may also be cancelled and that'll be our last chance to see Madonna gone. But luckily the, the, the rain held off for most of the show and then sort of about halfway through, um, she launched into um, In This Life. And my friends and I were all there and we we're like, oh my God, this song is so important because, you know, we'd, you know, we'd lost a lot of friends right. to AIDS and, you know, it was, you know, still a big deal then, 1993. And uh, so we all actually, we just instinctively held hands while she was singing this song. And I swear to you that at that point, while she was singing, the clouds just suddenly parted. And then we could just see this moon shining down on us. And we all just looked up and we were like, oh my God, something special just happened. That's and amazing. I can still remember that. It still gives me chills to remember that, but that was the most special moment. And it just felt like, you know, that, that you know, our guardian angels from above were, were looking down on us. So it was such a lovely moment. And you can't plan that stuff. It just happens and yeah. right moment, yeah. right time. That's, a, yeah. that's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the other nice thing that when she was there, she also had, you know, her big party, which she did invite me to. 
And um, so, you know, I went along for her big uh, girly part, girly show party and uh, there were lots of celebrities there, lots of stuff going on. And I took my best friend, one of my friends with me, who was a huge Madonna fan. And he wore, he made, he got someone to make a bright orange sort of suit for himself. So, of course, he totally stood out. <laughs> and uh, when, um, when we went up to the entrance, all the drag queens were sort of all gathered together. And he knew, who knew them, of course, and he ran up to them and... Um, he just went in with them basically. And they, they oh. immediately thought, Oh, he's with them. So they went off to the VIP area upstairs. Oh. because I had to, I had to stay downstairs with the celebrities. You had to slum it with the celebrities. I had, I had to slum it with the celebrities <laughs> in a way, basically. Um, and, um, and then later on they had a, a, a show because it's still erotica era. So they had shows and they had like a, a simulated whipping session i guess it was oh. on a platform that happened and, and madonna decided that she was going to come and check this out so she came from a vip area walked down to sort of halfway down to the stairs like where the plebs and the celebs were of us and um i was under the stairs with a couple of these celeb these these people and um um my friend justin was you know there as well you know gathered with all the drag queens and madonna and then uh at some point, my friend Justin, who just you know couldn't keep quiet either, he just said, um, "Oh, they're not even doing it properly." And Madonna turned to him and said, "Well, why don't you show them how it's done then?" And this is the only time in his life that he would ever been speechless because he'd been spoken to by you know Madonna, <laughs> kind of thing. And, uh, and that so that was that was his moment, kind of thing. She spoke to me, kind of thing. You know, did you hear what she said to me, kind of thing? And uh, that's that's the party where she was also on a on a. Um, if you Google it, she's on a, a surfboard and that she's got all these surf lifesavers and speedos and she looks so totally disinterested in them. And I, and I did speak to Donna Delore at the party. She was there wandering around the backing singer. Uh, Cause I'd interviewed her and, um, and I said, so, how's it going? Is Madonna enjoying the party? She's like, those guys, so totally not Madonna's type. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, at this point, you know, this is 1993. So she was probably kind of either seeing or dating or interested in Tupac Shakur and, um, you know, and and the like at that point. So she probably was not interested in these blonde surfer dudes. Yeah. At all out so. Have you ever had an encounter with Madonna directly? Like, have you ever spoken to her or interviewed her or had maybe a short conversation you know while you're at one of these parties? Yeah, I've had I've had the opportunity to interview her, and I kind of said no. And the reason for that is, you know, someone once told me, you know, never meet your um heroes. I mean, right. Don't meet your idols. Um, because you're going to be disappointed. You right. know? And also because not even that maybe you'd be disappointed, but they, then they're just human and they're not kind of, they're not special anymore, kind of. The, the magic kind of dissipates. Yeah. And so I always kind of thought, you know, I want to be a Madonna fan. And I, I knew a lot of journalists who had interviewed Madonna and they'd come away saying, oh my God, I can never listen to another Madonna record again. And the reason for that is that, you know, when you go into interview Madonna, it's like combat. You know, mm -hmm. often, you know, she she's really feels embattled by the media and she's, she, you know, she'll question you on everything. Why are you asking that stupid question? I'm not answering that. Or, you know, well, why do you think that then? You know, she really puts you in, on the spot kind of thing. You feel like, you know, you're in a, a cell being interviewed by the sort of, you know, the, the Stasi or something maybe, you know, that kind of thing, you know. So I kind of thought, I don't want that to be my, you know, memory of Madonna kind of thing. You know, I want to, you know, the magic of Madonna, the music, the the videos, you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. I, I kind of thought, I don't want to meet her. If it happens, it happens just by, by accident. You know, look, I was at her party and she walked past me. But, um, you know, I, I'm also not someone who's like, you know, I have to be around that, that person. Right. I'm very happy. To sort of, I mean, for me, my Madonna moments are clubbing, hearing Madonna's music in a club and experiencing that and dancing, you know. Only when I'm dancing can I feel this free. You know, that to me is quintessential Madonna kind of thing you know that's 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 when I feel my Madonna-ness the most when I'm on that dance floor I can feel that that dance that the pull of of her the club roots basically at night do you lock the door where no one else can see I don't even lock the door anymore <laughs> <laughs> um no I totally understand not I don't think I would ever want to meet Madonna or even like work with her because then you have to turn on because then she has high expectations of you <laughs> and I don't like people having any expectations of me whatsoever. So I yeah. get it. Like you just want to enjoy what she puts out. And I, it, I remember yeah. um, during Madame X and I believe it was an Australian interviewer and it was this woman and um, I'm not familiar with like Australian interviewers except um, Molly Meldrum, but 
I remember her asking Madonna about the eye patch, and you can tell Madonna was annoyed. And yeah. the the woman was like, "Tell us what you see with that one eye. Like, what do you see?" Yeah. And, yeah. and Madonna's like didn't miss a beat and said, "I see a woman wearing purple overalls," and just like left it at that because this woman yeah. was wearing purple overalls that I think Madonna was trying yeah. to like dig at her. Yeah. She's like, "Oh, you want to come for me for wearing an eye patch? Let me come for you for yeah. what you're wearing." Exactly. Let's not forget Madonna has been around you know drag culture for like 30, 40 years. So you know if she's must have heard some pretty great comebacks in her time. <laughs> yeah. She's, probably stored a lot of those away for when she needs them kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, look, Australians in particular, journalists as well, have a real sort of larrikin, sort of, you know, laconic kind of way of approaching sort of interviews and not taking things too seriously and that. And, uh, you know, sometimes that rubs people the wrong way. You know, sometimes it can be endearing, like with Molly Meldrum when he speaks to Madonna because she knows there's a lot of love there. Right. But if she doesn't, if she doesn't know that person or that interviewer, she's not going to play the fool. You know, she's just going to, you know, she's going to call you out basically. And sure enough, she did then. And I don't think she likes it when people get too comfortable with her either until she has built that rapport with them. Yeah. And I think no, some no, of these interviewers think that like, oh, we're chit-chatting. We're like friends now. Let me, let me kind of take a dig at her and see how she can take it. And she's like, uh-uh, no, we're not going there. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I remember like there's a photographer, um, his name's Tony Mott. He's a very famous Australian um, rock photographer. So he photographed Madonna during the girly show. Um, he did a photo shoot with her. I've mentioned this somewhere before that um, she was wearing all cricket gear. You know, she was dressed in all the cricket whites with the, the cricket pads on, the cricket hat at the Sydney Cricket Ground. She mm -hmm. did this photo shoot with her. And he brought them into the Smash Hits office and we got to um, see them. And we're like, oh, my God, these are amazing. We could do a big front cover on this. It's going to be, you know, this is such an exclusive, such a great thing. And, um, and the next day uh, we got a call from the very fabulous Liz Rosenberg and she said, guys, sorry, Madonna wants to keep them personal. And that was the end of that. So those photos have never, ever been seen by anyone. Wow. Apart from like, you know, we saw them just briefly, like on the transparencies, but that was it kind of thing. But Tony Mott did say to me that when he rolled up for the, um, to do the photo shoot with Madonna, she looked at him and she said, you don't look like much of a photographer. And he said to her, well, you don't look like much of a rock star. <gasps> and from that point on, they became the best of friends. And they, oh. did, and, they and uh, he, he photographed her for the rest of the tour, I think. That's awesome. That's incredible. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I want to I want to get into your book. So, Madonna Song by Song, it's yeah. encapsulating 40 years. You go through mm -hmm. every song on every album, and then you also include mm -hmm. tidbits like remixes and video information. So, tell tell the listeners what this book is about and why you wanted to write it. Well, I mean, the reason I wanted to write it is because I wanted to read it for myself, to be honest. Um, and it came about because, I mean, I don't know about it. With me, most things start with ABBA for some reason. I don't know why that is, but um, maybe because I was always obsessed with ABBA as a kid. Um, and my fr a friend of mine who who is the lead, I would call him the, the leading fan authority in the world on ABBA. His name's Ian Cole. Uh, he wrote, um, he was approached to write the um, ABBA song by song book in this series. So they'd had ones like Led Zeppelin and um, Dire Straits and uh, Kate Bush and so on. And uh, so they, they asked him to do the ABBA one. And he contacted me and he said, look, you know, I'm not a writer. He said, but I love the stuff that you did for Smash Hits and I love the stuff that you write now for DNA, which is the Australian Gay, Gay Glossy magazine I've written for for 20 years. And he said, you know, can you give me a bit of help with this? And I said, okay, sure. So I helped him with that manuscript. And at the end of this, I thought, you know, I really like this format where, you know, you actually get to sort of, you know, get a nice pithy little bit of information, a block of stuff about each yeah. particular track. Not too much, not too little, just enough kind of thing. Like a compendium, if you like, a little handy at your fingertips guide. And I thought, well, I'd love to read the Madonna one. And then I had a look and I thought, well, they don't have one. So um, I got in touch with the publisher and I said, look, you know, maybe I could write you one. And they said, oh, sure, that'd be a great idea. Literally the next day, boom, we went into lockdown. So literally for the next six months, I just worked on that on this book kind of thing as my project to get through lockdown. And, uh, you know, that this is literally, you know, <laughs> six months worth of mental health there, you know, doing this book <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and then as we came out of that lockdown, um, I, they, they sort of came back on board again. And I said, look, you know, so I finished this one and uh, – they said, great. And I, I said, you know, actually, I could probably write you a, a Kylie Minogue song by song, too. And they said, oh, that'd be great. Excellent. And then, boom, 
the next lockdown happened. And so then the next <laughs> six months of my life was done spent, spent doing the Kylie Minogue one after that kind of thing. And then finally, sort of, it all kind of happened when everything eventually came back on track that for some reason they both came out this year, which actually turned out to be perfect because, you know, 40 years for Madonna and it's also 35 years for uh, Kylie since she released her first record. So it actually turned out to be the perfect year. Um, and the Kylie one is just, just came out um, last month. Uh, nice. And the Madonna, came, the Madonna one just came out at the end of March then. So they sort of both almost came out simultaneously, actually. And they have asked me to do six more, actually, would you believe? And I've had to say no to them. So. <gasps> what? Well, I, I, yes. well, I want to say congratulations on this book and also on the Kylie book. And I know you've written a, a, a few other books. Um, yeah. But I, I also find it kind of like amazing that you kind of just call up a publisher and say, hey, I want to write this book for you. And they're like, <laughs> okay, sure. You're just basically picking your jobs. Like when you went to your smash hits like yeah. hey can you yeah, give me a job right. they're like oh we don't have anything yet and then two weeks later hey do you want to come work for like i just find that amazing um so and you get to do something you love yeah this has always been the way it's i don't know why it's always been the way for me for my career then it's kind of whether it's the right place at the right time but look, i tend to think that if you are usually if you have a passion for something then usually you're pretty good at it kind of thing so um you know, and I, and I guess, you know, I had such a passion for pop music and writing. I mean, look, when I was 10 years old, my parents for Christmas bought me a typewriter, you know, and I would sit there and I would write record reviews of ABBA's singles kind of thing for nobody else except myself. And I would cut them, I would type them out, print them out and put them in my ABBA scrapbook kind of thing, you know. Wow. That, you know, and so literally that was like practice for my future life for the next, you know, 40, 50 years, which is hilarious. Well, I want to ask you about that too. I want to ask about your writing process. So I imagine with you being a, a music journalist and a fan, a lot of this probably came to you very naturally and it's it's very off, probably off the top of your head, but did you have to do any research or did you go back to say, well, let me make sure I'm getting all of this information right? Like what's your process when you're writing something like this? My process for this was, okay, um, I, I mean, first of all, I wanted the book to be fun and not forensic. That was my key goal mm, for this. Okay. But, you know, I thought, look, there's so much information out there. You know, look, for example, you can go to Wikipedia and get so much stuff if you want to right. about you know, a lot of this stuff. But it's also, it can be very dry and often it can be very academic, almost like a, a dissertation. And I wanted so that when you read the book, you get that passion, that enjoyment of when you hear Madonna and when you talk about Madonna and when, you know, when you, it, you, you feel that in this writing kind of thing. I hope that that sort of comes through. And, and luckily, I mean, a lot of people have told me that that's, that that's what they felt, that, you know, it's so nice that someone has you know, written this book because, you know, it's all about the, the love of Madonna's music kind of thing. And, uh, and that's what we're trying to do then. And um, I, originally it was around 100,000 words, um, and I had to prune that down to about 50,000. So oh. what I had to really, a lot of stuff had to go sadly. I mean, there's a lot more extra stuff I, that could have been in there and could have been like literally like a double sized book. But, you know, I had, so I had to really get down to, so what is really the essence of each song that needs to, that needs to be told here kind of thing. And there were a lot of times, there were a lot of Sophie's choices, decisions, with, mm -hmm. do I keep this bit in or that bit in kind of thing. So, yeah, but it, eventually, look, I'm, I'm very happy with how it, how it turned out. And luckily, you know, the response has been amazing. People have been so um th thrilled or happy with this book kind of thing you know, so, some people have grumbled and said oh well if you're a true madonna fan you know this stuff all anyway and look that may be the case but you know hopefully it also reminds you i mean you know of all this you know great you know 40 years of stuff and um you know there's there's bits and pieces that i'd forgotten and you know i also tend you know like to think that i'm a great big madonna fan that who knows everything you know having worked in you know right. music magazines stuff for 35 years and you know there, as I was researching stuff even I discovered stuff that I didn't know like I didn't know Stephen Sondheim for example had um had written another song called Back in Business because they decided that Madonna one was rubbish basically yeah. and uh, that's why that sort of got junk from the movie um and actually you know as I was even researching after the book had finished you know I'm still sort of finding out stuff like for example there's the my one of my favorite Madonna tracks Don't Stop from Bedtime Stories um you know, there's, you know, it's a great song, but I always kind of wondered why is there that that line in it where she sings, sing la di da di, and I always thought, you know, that's just a bit, bit puerile, you know, just a bit silly. But I, it wasn't until I, much later I, it was pointed out. I found out later that actually it's a tribute to the Dougie Fresh track, yeah, nineteen eighty five, yeah. which is called la di da di, which is, and that so the same vibe that that song has is basically lifted from that one, you know, and that's of course her hip hop tribute record, if you like, so. That's where it comes from. So then I was kind of like, oh, this makes sense now kind of thing. But, you know, I didn't even kind of realize that. So it, the, the nice thing is, you know, because with the Internet, with there's been so much information, 
things that we didn't know at the time, 20, 30, even 40 years later, now we're finally finding out. And so now we can also kind of put it in a context as well. And, you know, obviously you can put things in, like, for example, on the everybody, you know, you have to mention that although it was produced by Mark Kamins, you know, he died, you know, some years ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, so Madonna then paid tribute to him. And so you can kind of tell a kind of a, a fuller story then as well, you know, and, and also the legacy of songs like Vogue, for example, you know, you need to not just say, you know, it was a big hit and it did this, did that. But, you know, to actually say, you know, 30 years later, you know, it still has all these things where, you know, it basically is the foundation for Pose's second series on TV. Yes. You know, it's, you know, Lady Gaga was so inspired clearly that, you know, she used a song for one of, one of the songs on her Chromatica record, you know, even though I'm sure she's never going to say that. So, just one of them? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, there's all these things. So just sort of the legacies of Madonna music, I thought that was really an important point. And that was what I learned when I did the um, the ABBA book for my friend. You know, I, I wanted to, him to to, um, to say, you know, look, I said, you, I know you've written this piece about ABBA's The Winner Takes It All, but, you know, I think it's also important that you need to put in there that, you know, you have the world's greatest living actress, you know, Meryl Streep performing that song in Mamma Mia, you know, so that really gives it some big major gravitas. And I think that needs to be part of that, just that story yeah. about the winner takes well to show the importance of it. And so, you know, to, to, you know, to sort of end, um, bookend it, if you like. And that's what I try to do here to show the importance of these songs. You know, they're not just frivolous, disposable pop songs, you know, that so many people often tend to sort of, you know, look down on pop music and think, you know, it's not rock music, it's not important, it's not indie, blah, blah, blah. You know, these are timeless classic pop songs that have lasted, you know, and they will last. That's the thing. This is It's the same with ABBA. I mean, I went to the ABBA concert the other night to see the Void show and, uh, you know, that is such a game changer, you know, and I'm surprised that Madonna was off with her new mate FK Twigs and not at the uh, ABBA show because, you know, this is the future of entertainment. You know, if anyone's going to see that, that's where things are going to go in the next five, ten years. We're going to see, you know, the Elvis show, the Beatles show, you know, and uh, probably so many others. And I'd be very surprised if, you know, Madonna doesn't take a punch at it too. Well, yeah, that's kind of one of the things I, I wanted to bring up if it had come up, but like I technology is changing so much. And um, I feel like even in a virtual world, like we're going to see virtual concerts and you're going to have to pay if you want uh, essentially a different cut of whatever video you're watching. If you want closer seats, quote unquote, you know, a close up of Madonna's face while she's performing, you're going to have to pay more money like you would for a ticket inside of like an arena or something. I think you're right. Like this whole game is going to change. And then the next five to 10 years, we're going to see yeah. performance take on like a totally different form. Exactly. And let's not forget, like in the next five, six years, Madonna's going to be in her 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, we can't expect someone to be sort of dancing around the stage like she has done, you know, in the past when she's at that age. I mean, look, I think if, you know, we saw that uh, concert she did with Maluma, you know, it kind of, it looks, you know, she looked awkward for the first time when she was dancing. I don't think I've ever see, really seen that before. And you know, I think, you know, this is somebody who's in her mid-60s. Right. Man. You know, you've got to expect that you can't be as supple as you are in your 20s and your 30s or even in her 50s as it was for Madonna. So, you know, I think at some point she's going to have to accept that, you know, especially, you know, dancers have relatively short lives. That's the thing, you know, most dancers retire in their 30s, really. Yeah. Here's Madonna still dancing in her 60s, God bless her. So, you know, I think for her, it, this um, this hologram, you know, this avatar thing, you know, is the perfect solution in a way that she could be involved with this, have control over this, like ABBA have with their image and stuff. And still make it sort of, you know, that, you know, she is the queen of dance, basically. She is the dancing queen to end all dancing queens. But we don't have two years for her to be in the editing room to come up with something like she did for well, Adam no, Max. No, she's, been, she's been two or three years doing the um, this biopic now, hasn't she? She's right. been three years, had an album, you know, so she does take her time. When there's a project that she really, you know, is really, really wants to work on, she'll do it kind of thing. But you know, she's she's a perfectionist, and you know that's one of the things we love about her. Well, just to go back to your book for a minute. Um, I know you mentioned some of the fans were saying, "Oh, well, if you're a real fan, you'll know this information." But I I want to kind of just re- reiterate what you were saying is that there are still things that I learn as a fan, even though I've been a fan for you know. Since... What did you learn? Tell me what did you learn. <laughs> um, well, I think it's just more of there are like demos I've never heard or I didn't know kind of like the evolution of where a song started and how it ended up to be the finished product. And I think um, 
with your book, it's it's very comprehensive, and I believe it's the first of its kind. I, I don't think there's a book like this out there that kind of goes through. I mean, I'm sure you can find blog posts or, or things online that that might go through it, but essentially, your your book is like a podcast. You could literally have a podcast and talk about each of these songs um, the way that some you, of us who on a podcast are doing. <laughs> I, I know. Listen for the um, for some future episodes where I'm talking about an album. I'm going to steal some of your 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 words there. Um, but you have actually uh, what I want to point out is your introduction to the book, which is kind of gives you a very um, a comprehensive view of of the past forty years and what. Yeah. And I think it has to do with your music journalism, which I also want to kind of talk about um, because I know that since you've been doing this since 1988, a lot has changed with, we were just talking about technology. We were just talking about um, the way people consume music is different. It's, it's no longer MTV and the radio it's on demand mostly now. Um, So how has the evolution of music journalism changed for you? And now that you've been working for DNA for, for the past 20 years and just for our audience, um, people who don't know what the DNA magazine, if you were particularly like me in the uh, late nineties, early two thousands, and you went to, to Barnes and Noble, you, you'd kind of have to sneak this magazine into a different magazine just so you can look at it because you didn't want to, if you were, especially if you were in the closet, like you you, got to like, I don't want people to see that I'm looking at this magazine. (laughs) They they call it coffee table porn. (laughs) That's a perfect description. Maybe, Maybe it's also important just to point out to your readers, uh, to your listeners, that um, Smash Hits what used to be was called Star Hits in uh, in the the US. Oh, it was a okay. US book from 1984 to about 1990. Uh, so a lot of Americans will probably remember as Star Hits as well, just in case they don't know who Smash Hits is, which had this history of started in 1978 and went through to 2006 for that. But yeah, so you asked me about journalism. It's interesting because. At the moment, the project I'm working on with the former um, uh, editor from Smash Hits, we're trying to do the history of Smash Hits UK. And um, it's quite a colossal work because it covers such a huge era from you know, yeah. 1978 when we still got punk and disco. And then we go through to 2006 when suddenly we, we got like reality show pop and stuff like that. So and all the stuff that, you know, in between all those things. Um, so, you know, that's the project that we're kind of working on at the moment. And um, but... I think journalism has changed in that, you know, it's the internet that's changed things. And suddenly there's so much information out there. There's so many voices out there. Everyone's a journalist. Everyone wants to write about something. And and in a way now, I think that's when it turns people then to more trusted voices, you know, like, well, you know, this is a person whose view I can trust then, or, you know, this is, I think that's what you find now, you know, people sort of will sort of go towards someone who they feel like this is someone who I respect them either as a writer or I respect their opinion. If they say this record is not the best one, then they're probably right kind of thing. So I think that's probably what you'll find. As I mentioned, like the Wikipedia, things like that, there's so much stuff out there and it's just so dry as well. And what I try to do with, with this book as well as with the Kylie book as well is that I wanted to make sure that you got the context of these songs too, because you know, it's right. very important to know what's going on in Madonna's life at that time. You know, why is this song important? Is it because, you know, well, actually later on, she goes through this big custody battle. And so she, she shows this song and this is a really heartbreaking moment when she can't get in touch with Rocco kind of thing. And so that's why, you know, this song has such resonance later on kind of thing. You know, it's trying not to be tabloidy, tabloidy or gossipy, but to inform you, this is what's going on. Or, you know, why is the, the song, um, Thief of Hearts on the erotic realm. Why is that in, uh, important then? Or who is she singing about? You know, yeah. you, you, well, I mean, we're just guesstimating, but, you know, it's probably, well, you know, she talks about, you know, she had your baby kind of thing. Well, maybe it's Sean Penn who's gone off and had a baby with with his new wife. Or it could also be Warren Beatty with Annette Benning who just had a, had a, had a baby yeah. as well. So you know, these are who it's probably related to. So trying to contextualize it and sort of give you a little bit of, you know, the background story and the history so you have a better understanding of things as well. Um, I think that's important because, you know, and also Madonna from 1989 onwards, she's put so much of herself on record. That's the thing. I mean, you know, like very few female artists in particular had ever done before, unless they were maybe indie folk singers, perhaps, or, you know, so that was a big, big change. And I think, you know, there's a lot of times it could be quite coded what she puts on her records, but, you know, 30 years later, you can kind of see what, who she's talking about, what she's saying kind of thing. Sometimes it's quite obvious. I mean, especially, 
you know, the divorce albums, if you like, yeah. um, especially when you get to, you know, MDNA or, you know, even just the track that, you know, the first two songs she releases after she, you know, um, ditches or divorces Guy Ritchie, one's called Celebration, the other's called Revolver. <laughs> I mean, there's a message there, what's going on. And this course then leads to gangbang a few years later where she's like, just die, bitch kind of thing wow. so there's so much anger and you know that there's real that that record is such an angry you know post-divorce record kind of thing so you need to under kind of stand that that's where that's coming from and i think the madam x album for me is so important as well just because it's really where madonna the joy comes back yes for madonna i think you know there's a, there's not much joy in hard candy there's not much joy in um mdma mdna there's not much joy in rebel heart it's not until we get to madame x that finally the joy comes back and i think that's kind of what we're waiting for and i think that's why that record is kind of a bit is a lot more special than the ones that went before it perhaps and i'm hoping that's why hopefully there is more joy in her life and we'll get that coming through now in, in the, the next few records then well even like um and i'd say madame x is, is also she got a creative spark back so she was she got different influences uh, yeah. while she was living in um, Lisbon. And exactly. I, I feel like, you know, that's what she needs. She just kind of needs that, that energy reinvigorated. And I think she yeah. was know, able I to was, accomplish that. Yeah. I, you know, I know that she was in the, the studio with Honey Dijon. I'm kind of like, where is this material? I mean, it's certainly right. not on Finally Love. I mean, you know, so there's a Honey Dijon remix, which she did two years ago. So, Where's this stuff that she's doing with Honey Dijon? This is what Madonna needs to be doing now. You know, for me, Honey Dijon's remix of I Don't Search, I Find is the best Madonna track at, at all since Confessions album, basically. And I think, you know, and the fact that Madonna has now performed it, you know, countless times now at various things, you know, shows I think that she agrees as well, basically. And, you know, that she named her album Finally Enough Love, you know, kind of thing. And, of course, the Honey Dijon track is on the CD version. You know, you only get 16 of the 50 on the CD mm -hmm. version. And of course, that's the one of the ones on there. So that's how important it is as well. Do you think she'll perform that at Pride, at New York Pride? You know what? I'd be so surprised if she doesn't because it's such a great, great, great track. I mean, I heard Honey Dijon playing a couple of years in Ibiza and she dropped her version of Vogue and it just blew my mind. It was just so fantastic. Nice. And, uh, you know, and she's 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 played that. I think a couple of months ago, she dropped uh, that one as well. When Madonna was, I think it was after Coachella, she played it or something. Yeah, as well, another version of Vogue that she'd done. We need to be seeing this. I mean, I'm hoping that you know, at some point, you know, maybe Honey Dijon was brought on board to do you know a mega mix of you know Madonna hits or um, something fabulous. That would you know, be I would just hope that you know that that's not going to be a wasted opportunity. You know, that needs something there needs to happen. Well, also with, with her um, hanging out with FKA Twigs. In the studio with Honey Dijon, hanging out with Erica Badu, I'm wondering: Are these collaborations for a future project or a new record? Well, I mean, look, she—you know—Madonna's always been someone who sort of soaks up, you know, influences from those people who she's around at that time, kind of thing. So it would be very surprising if all of those things don't show up in the next record. I'd imagine. Just much, just the same as if when she was in Portugal, all the Fado and all the the Capoverde stuff sort of all got soaked up and sort of you know came out as um, as Madame X kind of thing. You know, I mean, I think you know, look when Madonna started in 1982, if you'd said, "Oh, Madonna's going to make this amazing world record in almost 40 years' time," I mean, you know, you would have sort of laughed laughed them silly yeah. out of the room, I think, kind of thing. But you know, she did it. I mean, it's wildly eclectic that record, if nothing else. But um, you know, she tried a little bit of everything on this. Some of it works, maybe some of it didn't. Um, I would have also pruned it down a lot, which I think also the last couple of albums have also really suffered from. There, there's been too much. You know, when we had the first couple of records, we had like eight, nine, ten tracks at the most. Suddenly, we're getting twenty, twenty-five yeah. tracks. You know, that's too much. I think. You know, we it need. Is. You know, you can say that for the deluxe editions if you want, but you know, for the proper one, just let's cut back down to the ten best or so, basically. Well, we can only hope and see. Exactly. And, you know, I'm very, I'm very excited about the future. I mean, this release excites me. The fact that there's the biopic, you know, she's obviously going to have to write a new song because, you know, Madonna wants to win that Oscar. So, you know, <laughs> she's, probably done, she's probably been scribbling away with Pat Leonard, you know, some lovely ballad I'm hoping that we're going to hear and that suddenly is going to start over the end credits and it's going to get Oscar nominated. She's going to sing at the Oscars and she's going to win. Finally, she gets that Oscar. So that would be nice. I'm crossing my fingers for her. Yeah, exactly. Me too. Lady Gaga is as well. <laughs> well, we've been talking and talking, and I think if we talked more, we'd be singing and singing. 
like rescue me. Um, yeah. But I wanted like to thank on, you for for on the wingy wingy wingy. I think <laughs> well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I want to encourage everyone to go out. You can go on Amazon and pick up Mark Andrews' Madonna Song by Song. It's really a great comprehensive guide to her music, even if you're already familiar. It's great to have it all in one place and something that you just pick up and not have to scroll on your phone. You can just uh, read it. But there is a Kindle version if you're interested in that one, too. If you're interested there in is, that, yeah. too. Um, exactly. And if you're finding it hard to um, to order from Amazon or wherever you might be, then just go to the Font Hill Media is the publisher. Just look for their website and you can order it directly from there. And that, you probably also get the best price from them as well. Perfect. Well, thanks for telling me that after I've already gone to Amazon in person. <laughs> <laughs> buy another copy for Christmas. <laughs> Only, if for Only if it's signed. Yeah, sign up for Madonna. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Can you tell people where to find you, where they can say hello or check out some more of your work? Yeah. Um, well, look, I mean, I have to say, I mean, I'm, I'm not as social media savvy as Madonna. And, um, you know, I keep a relatively low profile compared to her. There's no pictures of me on the toilet. Um, <laughs> but um, basically, I mean, most of my time at the moment, I've been trying to work through this Smash Hits book. And so on Facebook, I have a a page called Poptastic Smash Hits, um, where we post stuff from every day from, you know, from 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and uh, all that kind of stuff, which hopefully will lead up to when we get to publish this book then. So, you know, if you're interested, there's lots of Madonna stuff on there, obviously, you know, but there's lots of pop stuff from all that era from, you know, 1978 to 2006. Um, so there's always plenty of stuff coming up. And look, obviously, there'll be the uh, soon we'll have the 30th anniversary of this used to be my playground coming up yeah. to celebrate and then erotica, erotica deeper and deeper sex all that kind of stuff too yep so all that will be mentioned as well coming up too so that's that's all and all that so you know if you're interested come and have a check out there basically that's probably the best place to find me well we'll have to stay in touch because i just recently got rid of my facebook profile so um <laughs> i'm only on instagram now <laughs> okay. well um thank you again for coming on the show we'll have to stay in touch because i do want to hear uh, and i will be paying attention to you because i do want to i do want to check out this this new project that you're working on in this new book thank you. so thank you again thank you. i hope you have a great jubilee there in the uk yes we're celebrating with the other queen not the queen of pop but the queen of england say hello to her for me i think i saw her once the last time i was in england um or in london she was in one of those carts Carriages. Carriages. Not not this not another shopping cart, I <laughs> Well <laughs> No. But um yeah, and enjoy your weekend and enjoy your Jubilee. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me and uh, thank you thank you everyone who's also bought the book or has uh, approached me about the book. I mean I really appreciate it and it's so nice to have all that feedback. So yeah, thanks. Perfect. I will talk to you later. Have all a right. good one. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye. See you later.